Hey, it's Guy, and you're listening to a bonus episode of On The Tape. This week, I'm in Miami at the Context 365 conference, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Mike Novogratz, CEO of Galaxy Digital Partners, about crypto, his family, Galaxy Digital, the Fed, and so much more. Hope you enjoy it. Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. everybody enjoyed lunch. So I worked at Goldman Sachs for a period of time. I got there when it was actually quasi easy to get a job in the commodities world. Clearly couldn't get one now, but one of the people uh, we used to hear about all the time at Jay Aaron was this guy, Michael Novogratz. Um, Larger than life, I had never met him, but the mythology around him was fascinating. Uh, And if you're not following him on Twitter, you're doing Twitter wrong. And if you don't know who he is, probably leave the room now, because in my world, he's a legend. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Novogratz. So it's interesting. I mentioned I was at Goldman Sachs, and one of the years I was there, there was a, the guy that ran foreign exchange. Mike probably knows him. His name was Peter Gerhard. And the year that he made partner at Goldman, Pete lost about $150 million or so. And we all looked at each other like, how do they make somebody a partner after a year like that? And it dawned on me that the, ra- the rationale was somebody that could lose that amount of money probably could make that and much more so. But what also dawned on me was I didn't have the temerity, I didn't have the onions to be able to do something like that. And very few people do. You're one of those people. You're fearless in terms of that. Can you sort of speak to it? I don't think it's a character flaw. I, think it's a, I just think it's an attribute in our world. Well, part of it is luck in that I, when I say that, you know, you start trading and it's scary, right? So you're trying to deal with fear. And if you're trying to make $10 million, you know, because you're working at a bank, you know, you're risk managing yourself to try to make it. How do you go from being a $10 million trader to a 30 or 50 or $100 million trader? Um, often it's a, it's a nonlinear jump. Uh, and you know, for me, it was when Asia blew up and all yeah. of a sudden, you know, I had made $25 million, I made $200 million because I had bought things for one that became 80. Um, and then you get more comfortable there. Uh, it's a lot like walking on a balance beam. If you walk on a balance beam on the floor, we all can kind of do it. Same balance beam at 10 feet, pretty scary, right? 10 feet's a pretty fall, big fall. Put it at 80 feet and see how many people in this room will walk across it. Probably none of us. But if it goes up really slowly or jumps or you get comfortable with it, it's just the same balance beam. And so a little bit of it is getting comfortable. Uh, listen, I, I now run a, you know, a whole lot of risk, and it still doesn't feel good when you <laughs> lose a ton of money. My son's like, Dad, Dad, <laughs> how you doing? Um, but you just get used to it. And so a lot of it is just conditioning. 
conditioning is one thing, but having, again, just the understanding of what it takes to get there has always fascinated me. And I didn't have those attributes. It's one of the reasons why I was not going to make partner at Goldman Sachs, which is, you know, another conversation for another time. But I want to talk about your family because it's fascinating. And the New York Post ran, a, I thought it was a great article, August of last year about the Novogratz family. And if you haven't read it, Google it after this. But maybe, Michael, you can speak to your family because it is a remarkable group of people that have done individually remarkable things. So my mother was often asked, what did you do to raise such a diverse group of kids? She said, I hit them with a wooden spoon. Um, listen, I was raised in a pretty tough, not tough, normal middle-class family. My dad was an army officer. My mom was an aspiring mother who instilled in us this idea that we could do anything. And what was interesting, some woman came and wanted to write a book on, she was writing a book on successful families, families that have two or three siblings that have done well. Uh, and we decided not to be in her book, but I spent an hour with her, and I said, what have you learned? And she said, I learned the same thing in every family. One of the two parents is aspirational, and that was my mother. She wanted us to be the Kennedys, I think. Uh, you know, my, my sister was named Jacqueline. My brother was named Robert. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, they were born in 1960 and 63. Um, my mom looked a little like Jackie O. Um, but often, one of the siblings succeeds early, and mentors the other kids, because the parents don't really have the skills. They have the values, but not the skills. And so it's this weird combination of asp aspiration, values, and skills. Uh, and pe people pitch in. And I think that was the story of our family. You have a sister who is, you know, always known where True North was, uh, succeeded really early. Uh, and so some combination of her and me and my other siblings helping each other out uh, made success a lot easier. But you know True North as well. I mean. You're extraordinarily charitable. You don't like to talk about it, but that's part of it as well, and that permeates the entire family. Can you speak to that? What are you passionate about just in terms of that vertical in your life? Right, listen, so my parents didn't have a whole lot of money. My dad, in the Army, you made nothing back then, like 25000 a year as a, as a young you know, major, or maybe it was 30000 And my mom had to work as a, as a waitress. And, um, but they had a real strong ethos, if you can help, help. And so that was helping at the church or helping coach the sports team or helping at a food bank. Um, and it was funny, my mom would say, well, you were given so much, we got to get back. I was like, given so much, we had seven kids in one bathroom, right? <laughs> um, but the idea was if you can help, help. Um, and so I think that permeated things. And so for me, as I became more successful, I found things to help with. And it started with sports, because I was a wrestler, and wrestling did a lot for me. So I started a thing called Beat the Streets, um, which set up wrestling teams in inner city schools. We ended up doing 160 in New York and now in 14 cities. Um, the idea being wrestling teaches toughness and leadership, and that leads to uh, uh, that toughness and discipline, and that leads to leadership. Um, and now I spend a whole lot of my time in the criminal justice system. Like we have a broken criminal justice system. Um, it doesn't work. It's uneconomic. It's mean-spirited. Uh, and it's not intuitive. And so we take people who have created trauma, but who've been traumatized themselves, and we put them in a machine that just creates more trauma. Uh, we should take people off the streets who are dangerous and try to heal them. And there's all these technologies these days to heal people. And if we had a mindset of healing, three years, five years, 10 years later, you'd return people who are taxpayers and productive citizens in life. 
Uh, and so I spent a lot of time around that space. It is more frustrating than anything I can, can imagine. Uh, change is really hard. We're going to talk about your vision for Galaxy a little later, but in terms of your 600-person firm, I think, either side of, what are you looking for? Now, at a certain point, it becomes hard to sort of talk and meet to all this, but what do you look for? Is there one trait that, that permeates, that comes through, that you see in somebody that maybe other people don't? Well, my favorite trait is grit. Uh, and so when I see grit, I get excited. Uh, you find grit in lots of different ways. Often, you know, you find it in middle-class kids that are aspiring to be wealthier or... There's a woman I met in the Mideast who we've just hired who just had it. She was German, born in Germany, went off to the Mideast by herself and, and really wants to get ahead. And so that desire to succeed is my number one thing I look for. Yeah, and that was, I think the author's name is Duckworth, if I'm not mistaken, and wrote a book, Grit, which if you haven't read, you should, because I think it speaks to everything that you're talking about now. So we're a few minutes into this. Let's talk about what's going on in the world, because... You know, I don't know if there's some paradigm shift. We talked about that before we got on. But what do you, you know, what's your take on what's been going on the last couple of days, but literally the last month, month and a half? Yeah, so, you know, I think the big question every one of you have to answer for the next year at least, and maybe even a couple of years, is we had been in an environment where the Fed and the Treasury were providing an amazing tailwind to investing, right? Liquidity bubble... We can call it what you want, but you had monster fiscal stimulus and monster monetary stimulus. And that's coming to an end, right? Biden's going to have no more stimulus. To, and the Fed can't keep rates as low as they've been, and they can't keep pumping in money because we've got inflation. And inflation hurts the working class and the middle class, and it's really politically ugly. And so they're kind of stuck. And so those tailwinds become headwinds. And so this culture that we've created of speculative gambling in lots of ways on growth stocks, on private equity, on venture, on baseball cards, on NFTs and crypto, all has to get repriced. And that's happening. And it's happening really fast. One thing about markets, they happen really fast these days. So Robinhood, which was everyone's darling, is down 86%. That's a beatdown, um, right? Crypto, which is my baby in lots of ways, we're 50% off the highs on the best crypto, 60, 70 on, on some of the, the altcoins. And so in some of these areas, you've already had big corrections. Um, the U.S. alone has lost about $7.5 trillion, $8 trillion of wealth in this last bit of time, $8 trillion of wealth. That probably will slow consumption going forward. The, the Fed has a model about 15 basis points per trillion, so it's over a percent of GDP growth coming off in the next 12 months just from this last eight weeks. Think about that. So the wealth effect is going to hit. It's going to be much cheaper to buy a, a table at a nightclub in Miami in about two months, right? You know, like, there's lots of crypto wealth. There's lots of young wealth here. And they're like, ooh, my account's not as high as it was. Maybe that $7,000 bottle of vodka. I could go to, the, go to the store and buy one for 70 and sit around with my friends and drink it before we go to the club. Um, and so that, that's what happens, right? So, but we're going through this, and what happens is every rich guy in those years when it's just by the dip, by the dip, you get bailed out of your mistakes, and you feel pretty good. And even if you turn bearish, now you'll sell a little bit, but lots of liquid. 
you wake up, you're like, I'm still way too long, a market that's not going up. And so what you're going to see now is what we saw yesterday. You're going to see big sell-offs and then vicious short-covering rallies. Bear markets are hard to trade. They're hard to invest in. Um, and then the market rolls back over uh, until we reach a new equilibrium. And maybe Robinhood's found its equilibrium at 85%. I actually think crypto has a lot of good things going for it. You know? So what are the three good things going for crypto? The venture side of crypto raised like $10 billion just recently. And so there's lots of dry powder on the venture side. The big companies like ours, right? We did a $500 million convert in uh, late November, early December. But our big competitors, if it's FTX or New York Dig, also raised a lot of capital. And so none of the kind of keystone players are at economic risk. And institutions, if it's you know, uh, state pension funds, universities are moving into the space. And so they're seeing this as a buying opportunity. Um, right? Crypto is really two different things. We, we, we call it crypto, but you've got Bitcoin, uh, which is, a, in my mind, digital gold store of value, great hedge against the debasement of currency. I, you had Michael Saylor. He, he probably can talk Bitcoin around anybody. But that's a story. And I think it's a real story, uh, and I think we're we're in the accumulation area. I think Bitcoin is probably 30,000 to 50,000 for the time being, right? It's not going to race ahead right away until there's more clarity on how this economic situation plays out, but there's certainly people willing to buy it. Uh, the more interesting story to me is this revolution of what we call Web3, uh, the Internet of Value Exchange. And you're seeing that explode. I was at Time Magazine on Thursday. We have a Galaxy Time Metaverse Index, uh, and I met the head of media there. And it was shocking to me how well-versed he was in the NFT space. Not just him, his whole team. And their plan, it was way ahead of where I would have assumed it was. Uh, I was like, damn, i got to keep studying. Uh, it's brutally hard to keep up with what's happening. And so every company we talk to that aren't crypto companies, right? that are healthcare companies or media companies are barreling into crypto and figuring out how is it going to change their intersection with consumers. Uh, and then on the asset management side, you know, my team has 80 meetings this week with guys like you looking at the various funds. We have venture funds and crypt, uh, metaverse funds and long short crypto funds. And so we're now an asset class. And so to me, and I told my team this yesterday, uh, our 2022 is build, 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 right? Because crypto is still young, right? Ethereum didn't exist six years ago. Bitcoin's 12 and a half years old. Uh, the whole project really kicked off two and a half years ago. And so it needs better user interface, user experience from the consumer side. It needs better pipes. Uh, the blockchains have to go faster and be more reliable. Like, we're just getting to prime time. Uh, and so I think 2022 for us is going to be a year of building and building and build, building relationships with investors. Um, I think there'll be less, there'll be lots of volatility and plenty to trade, but I think we're going to move to a less speculative economy, not just crypto, globally, uh, because it's not as much fun when the fire hose isn't on. You know, one of the great investors, you know, one of our, David Tepper, and, you know, he would come on CNBC and he'd, 
boil it down to the most simplistic thing. Listen, don't fight the Fed, and it would make me crazy. I would find myself screaming at him, well, David, don't you see all these different things that are going on? But sometimes it's that simple. But if it is that simple, and when he says don't fight the Fed, and fighting the Fed under those paradigms were being bearish when they're adding liquidity, if it's true that way, isn't it true in the flip side when they're, again, just flipping the script? So if you're bullish now, you are effectively doing what David Tepper tells you not to do. So let me be really clear. I think stocks are going lower. I think you, instead of buying the dip, you need to sell the rally. Um, I think alpha is going to be more important than beta because, like, you know, some things have already had their correction. Going out right now and pounding Robinhood down 85% is probably not a great strategy for wealth creation. Um, you look at Tesla and you're like, well, that's a story stock. It's still got a meme value. It's got an enterprise value. It's an amazing company. But who knows if Tesla's really a $900 billion company or a $500 billion company, right? When we prick the bubble of valuation, when we get away from PEs over 12 and we're just in momentum valuation, it's hard to sort out. And so we're going to spend this year figuring out what the new equilibrium is. And that's why crypto sold off, right? Is Ethereum a $350 billion ecosystem or a $250 billion? Who in the hell knows? It goes up when money is going in. Money goes in often when they're creating and, and being, when, it's, when you're creating economic uh, enterprise and being used by more and more people, more developers, more, and you're seeing that, right? The L1s in crypto, the Ethereums and Lunas exploded this year because of the NFT market. NFTs are not going away. Prices will go up and down, but this idea of being able to create community through this new technology is revolutionary and is here to stay and it's accelerating. It's interesting, you know, and I say this and I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting I'm right, but I think amongst the many great villains of the 21st century, and there are gonna be a lot of them, I think central bankers are at the top of my list. And, you know, we found ourselves in, an, in a world where we capitalize gains and we socialize losses. And by definition, that's unsustainable. Can we get away from that or we two down that rabbit hole? I think we're, you know, it's, it's, listen, we're too, down, too far down that rabbit hole. It's going to be fascinating. Like, Chairman Powell in some ways has the worst job, or Powell and Yellen if you hook them at the hip. Uh, to start off, like, what an insane choice of Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She was a Fed governor. And so you're like, okay, independent central banking, except the central banker is going to also run the Treasury. Like, that was the most metaphorically stupid move I've ever seen. Uh, and, and listen, Janet Yellen is a very sharp woman. I'm not knocking her. She shouldn't have got the job just because she had the other one. And so now you've got this pair that need to land a plane in a really tiny strip. Mm -hmm. You know, can Powell really raise rates enough to hit inflation? We'll see. Does he have the courage? I think he's going to be hawkish tomorrow. Uh, he didn't tell me that. I'm just... My sources and, and my, my intuition is like, he, in some ways, he did anything he could to get reelected. Power is unbelievably uh, addictive, right? And so he left rates lo much lower than he should have longer until he got reappointed. And now he's got catch up to do. And so I think he's going to come out hawkish and try to regain his stripes as a central banker. Um, if there was one number we all should pay for, like we should literally give a quarter of our net worth for to know because it would make us so rich, much richer, is where inflation is going to be in 18 months mm -hmm. or 14 months. Has this inflation that's showing up everywhere, 
Is it transitory? Is it supply side shocks? Uh, corn prices going up, oil prices going up because we didn't invest enough? Or is it stickier? Is it starting to get into expectations? Right? We had the great resignation. Like people said, I'm not working for 8.50 an hour. Enough. Uh, I'm not working for 15 bucks an hour if I live in New York. Uh, partly they could afford to because governments are giving lots of money. Uh, and as a collective country, we voted for a group that said, hey, we need to do something about this rich-poor gap. And so where that, where that labor and wage inflation settles down is a big, big deal. I know one thing, not one person in this room is going to know anything more in a month, mm -hmm. right? Will the wealth effect of stock market going down another 20%, you know, start really impacting how people spend? And will the economy roll over faster? We know base effects will make inflation lower next year. Uh, but that's the big question. And unfortunately for all of us, we're not going to have the answer anytime soon. And so the market is going to be volatile this year. It's going to chop up and down. Uh, but I said this earlier today, almost all of us in the room will be poorer at the end of the year than we were at the beginning of the year. And that's hard to handle. We're like, that's no fun. Bear markets suck. You know, bull markets are fun. Mm -hmm. And most people in the investing world, the young people, have never been in a bear market. Right? The last one we really had uh, was 08, 09, yeah. uh, or 07, 08, I'm sorry. Uh, and what's interesting is, you know, again, no fan of central bankers, but I was a huge Jerome Powell fan in October of 2018. Early on in his tenure, despite what then-President Trump was urging them all to do, came out, we're raising rates, we're reducing our balance sheet, autopilot, whatever phrase he used. And I would submit, and again, I don't know that I'm right, but he was right at the time. He was absolutely on the right course of action. But then he blinked because the market went down 19.9% from that point until Christmas Eve. The president was on his ass, and he basically kowtowed to that. Little different now, and I don't think this administration, yet at least, is as focused on the market as they are on inflation, and there's a midterm election coming up. So if people are looking for this Fed to bail them out, I think they're looking in the wrong place, and you alluded to that. Yeah. I, listen, I think the gun's out of bullets, right? And it doesn't matter who was the central banker, or quite frankly, who was the president. Like, Donald Trump came in and raised government spending $900 billion from $3, billion, $3 trillion to $3.9 trillion before COVID. And he was interviewed once about this. Who's going to pay for it? Forget the tax cut. Forget revenue. That's spending. He was interviewed. He said, ah, someone else can worry about it. That's Trump's gang. Someone else can worry about it. Screw the creditors. Like, that was his move. And so Republicans, or at least Trump, guilty of blowing out the deficit at a time when we were supposed to have a great economy, right? The best economy in the world. We blew our deficit out to five, six percent of GDP. Then COVID happened. And listen, I empathize with anyone in charge during COVID. It was really hard to figure out what to do. But Mnuchin, you know, Jim Cramer, everyone <laughs> said, give them the money. And so we took all the, the, the fiscal caps off. And now we're in fiscal la-la land. Uh, you know, and Biden, they didn't really need that giant st second stimulus package, or third, whatever it was when he came in. But he wanted to get some of the social things, and he just got elected. And so all the bullets are gone. There's no one to save the House. And we're going to have to hit an equilibrium. Uh, and then, listen, the good news is the economy's strong, right? 
the auto industry is way behind. So that thing is going to be booming for a while. The housing industry is way behind. It's going to be booming for a while. We've got a strong economy. And so people are going to be working. Uh, I don't think this puts us into a recession. I think maybe it slows it enough that the Fed doesn't have to raise so much and the equity market can hit, a, hit an equilibrium somewhere. But this transition is going to be painful as an investor. Uh, my brother just called and said, ah, the guy wants to put a bunch of money in a private equity fund. Uh, I said, yeah. Longer-term thought you should look at, great investors. You know, putting money in funds now that are going to slowly be deployed, all smart ideas. Going in and just buying the market right here feels like the wrong thing. Keep some dry powder. You're a really thoughtful person, brilliant mind, and you talk about the amount of studying you've needed to do over the last 30 years to become the investor that you are. But yet, and we're guilty of it, you know, when I go on TV every night at 5 o'clock, investor the word has a whole new meaning. Now investors are some people that buy AMC because they're hoping the greater fool theories comes into play. And by the way, that was working for a long time. But has the word been bastardized to a point where nobody understands what it means anymore? Yeah, listen, I think there's an interesting, this idea of the democratization of finance can get taken two ways. Like the, the good way in my mind is that people should have access to lots of investment opportunities. And it shouldn't only be the rich guys that get all the good deals. Uh, the bad way is everyone should be an investor. Like, when I go to a doctor, I always check out his diploma. Make sure he went to a good med school before I let him poke and prod me. Uh, investors should have learned to invest. And just because you want to be an investor doesn't mean you, you should be an investor. Now, if you put your time in, you don't have to work at Goldman Sachs or, or go to Harvard Business School to learn to be an investor, right? There's an unbelievable amount of smart, savvy investors that have learned on their own there's unbelievable knowledge on the internet. But that's a very small portion of the people that are just speculating. And I think this era of mass speculation probably is going to, one of the reasons Robinhood stock, I think, went from you know, eight, down 85% is the market's smart. It realizes that can't last. Because as soon as people start losing money, they're like, oh, that's no fun. And so I think we're going to see an end a little bit of this to the day trading phenomena. Uh, and it's probably a good thing. It's interesting. for. A lot of people in this country over the last two years, things have never been better. But I would submit, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just sort of reading and, and watching things, for 12 to 15% of our fellow citizens, we're in somewhere in the 1930s. Can you speak to that wealth gap? Because it's real. And I don't know how that chasm, which continues to grow each day, goes back to some semblance of normalcy. Well, you know, one way the wealth gap closes is the rich people get a lot less rich. <laughs> and so we're seeing some of that right now. Um, we have a lot of, you know, structural problems in the country that don't get fixed in a short period of time, right? The education gap, um, the food gap, uh, and how people eat. I was saying this before. One reason crypto became more than an investment thesis, but a revolution for Gen Z and millennials, was they looked up at the people in charge, Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, both sides of the aisle, who roughly are 65 to 85, who have been in charge for 35 years, right? really since Bill Clinton came into office. Remember, Clinton, Bush, Trump born the same year. right? And they said, these guys have been terrible stewards of our economy. Why are they still in charge? Americans have gained 35 pounds on average, over that period of time. The French have gained three, so it's not global, right? 
America's gotten obese. Why we have the most COVID deaths? Because we have the most obese people. 80% correlation, right? Uh, our debt to GDP has gone from 40% to 130%. Almost no country has ever come back from 130% debt to GDP without a debt restructuring. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Grandma. Uh, right? Inequality gap has gotten so wide. And I you know, can't blame it all on them, but it's shocking to me the lack of humility that not one of them says, maybe we should let someone else have some ideas. It's, no, I got to be in charge. And young people are sick of it. And so crypto was their response, or certainly part of the response. They're creating their own money. They're creating their own ecosystem, uh, their, their own governance. Uh, funny story how quick the generations have changed. I remember the first time I went to a TED Talk, Myra Nierwold, uh, this brilliant scientist from Microsoft, he showed his Tyrannosaurus Rex in his living room. And everyone's like, dude, that's so cool. Now if you show it to a bunch of Gen Z kids, they'd be like, what a D-bag. Like, really? Who would do that? That should be in a museum. That should belongs to the people. And so there's a psychology shift with this new generation. Uh, and so it's why I'm so bullish crypto. It gives it its energy. It's pulling all the people into it. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but more with Mike Novogratz right after this. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. With CME Group's micro-sized futures and options, you can access the same transparency and liquidity of the benchmark contracts with less upfront financial commitment. Diversify your portfolio and manage your exposure with the flexibility of CME Group micro-contracts in crypto, metals, FX, energy, and equity indices. Learn more about what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash micros. So it's interesting, I asked Michael about, Michael Saylor about this, I'll ask this Michael about it. If we now have this paradigm shift where central banks, not just the US by the way, it's seemingly other central banks are trying to be, for lack of a better word, responsible and trying to get this train back on the tracks. Is that the counter thesis of crypto? Because crypto was born at a time, you mentioned it effectively, when reckless central banks and liquidity, if liquidity is now taken out, is that the counter argument of crypto? So we went from 70,000 to 35,000 because the central banks got more hawkish, right? Simple as that. And so the question just is how much of that got priced in? Can the central banks pull it off? I think the runway for Powell and Yellen to land the plane is minuscule, right? They start raising rates. President Biden's gonna say, well, that's not really good uh, at one point. Economy slows down too much. The only way out of 130% debt to GDP is to inflate your way out of it. You have to inflate your way out of it gradually enough that you don't get runaway inflation. So what you're basically saying is, I'm smart enough and good enough that I can keep an economy growing, keep inflation at 4%, tell people it's 2%, and slowly erode this debt away while ha you know, having such great tax revenues it's going to pay down my deficit. Maybe. Anything else, you're inflating away faster. And as you start inflating way faster, it's amazing what it does to your net worth, how fast it goes. And so hard assets, hold on to real estate, 
hold on to gold and hold on to Bitcoin. Now, gold, interestingly enough, is rallying right now when Bitcoin's selling off, partly because it was such a huge underperformer. I always said gold and Bitcoin and real estate because we're in an era that's the only way we get out of this mess is to inflate ourselves out. And so this is a cyclical, I'm a central banker, I'm gonna to try to stop this before it really runs away. He's doing what he should be doing. Uh, I just think it's a hard, hard, you know, a very narrow uh, yeah. window to get uh, through. Threading a needle that I don't think they can thread. Right. But so let me ask you this, so we're, we are forced to, or choose to choose, basically a group of men, but some women that don't have the good, if you think about the instincts, I mean, we're trusting their instincts to a large degree, right? And their gravitas. But the same people don't have the instincts to understand that, hey, maybe I shouldn't, even though I'm allowed to do it, maybe I shouldn't be trading equities uh, for my personal account. I mean, this just happened over the last four or five months. So we assume that they have the good judgment, but three, at least three or four of them didn't have the good judgment to understand, even though I'm allowed to do it, maybe the optics around trading in and out of stocks as a Fed official aren't all that good. Insanity. It was, it, it's insane that we let Congress trade. It's insane that we let the Federal Reserve people trade. It's in, like just insanity. We shouldn't let the Supreme Court justice. They should put their money in blind trusts. There should be you know, other people that manage their money for them. When John Corzine, who was my boss, uh, became a senator, he was worth $600 million or something. He put all his money in a blind trust and let other people manage it. It had nothing to do with it. Like that was the, he didn't have to do it. It was the decent thing to do. Now maybe he was rich enough that he could afford the infrastructure, but it's crazy that just the perception of, you know, Nancy Pelosi punting stocks or Dan Crenshaw, Dan Crenshaw's got a better track record. The guy with the eye patch. I want to give him some more money, he's so good. Um, you know, like it just, who knows if he's good or if he's got inside information. It's, they, don't, they shouldn't want people questioning them. When do you think the market becomes a story? You alluded to it before. Right now, inflation is a concern. Inflation is what's on top of mind. I mean, it happened yesterday in the White House briefing room in terms of a question that was thrown out, but that seems to be the hurdle for a lot of people to get reelected. When does that flip from inflation to, oh, shit, the market's getting cream. We better start focusing on that, because if that happens, that's when maybe this Federal Reserve blinks. I think inflation is more important because, listen, more and more people participated in the stock market rally, but it's still the top, right? The bulk of America doesn't have a lot of assets. 50% of America doesn't have $600 to pay for a broken tooth or $400 to pay for a broken tooth. I got into bail reform because half, well, 95% of people that get arrested can't afford $1,500 bail. 95% of people that get arrested can't afford $1,500 bail. And so they're held in jail for a long periods of time because they, not, not that just that they can't afford it, they don't have a phone a friend. They can't call a relative or a friend to come bail me out for $1,500, so they sit in jail waiting trial, uh, and that just seemed unjust. And so inflation is a much bigger story. Milk prices higher, corn prices higher, gas prices higher, used car prices higher. I gotta get paid more. Or uh... people are concerned. You know, I said, I say, if you want to watch what I think's going on, that miniseries Chernobyl was on HBO five, six years ago. Six-part miniseries was, it was remarkable. Great, great, great. Show. I mean, just the way they feel, everything about it. But and, and maybe this will be an awkward metaphor, but I think it holds true. 
the last episode takes place in the control room, one o'clock in the morning, they're running a test, basically five or six engineers in there, one guy sort of making all the decisions. And in order to run the test, they need to take the reactor down. They take it down and then they start to try to bring it back up and one by one they start to take out control rods and to try to get this reaction back until all the control rods are out. And then the reaction that they wanted to get, they got obviously in a much fiercer, more ferocious way, and then they couldn't control it. In my opinion, this Federal Reserve, they've taken out all the control rods in the hope that they were gonna get inflation. Well, here it is, all the control rods are out. Are we at risk of having a situation of, I mean, you know, I, I'm gonna throw on so inflation, but inflation that they can't control. So I would say they weren't hoping to get inflation, they were hoping to get growth in employment and they didn't think they'd get inflation. This idea that inflation was dead, structurally dead, we got the robots, you know, we're replacing labor with electricity, uh, was pretty powerful. I mean, people believed in MMT, and I was like, are you guys out of your freaking minds? My mother told me, like my, my smart mother, money doesn't grow on trees. It really grew on trees, it was really fun, right? And so I think they fell trapped to that stinking thinking. And now they've got inflation. And none of us in this room really are smart enough to know what it's going to take to stop it. We can predict. You see base effects. You think transitory. You can talk to all the economists. Inflation expectations get sticky, right? So when you sit with Jean-Claude Trichet, I remember debating mm -hmm. him all the time, uh, inflation expectations. My job as the central bank governor of Europe is to anchor inflation expectations. He probably said that sentence 5,000 times. Boring, right? Inflation expectations, last University of Michigan started ticking up, highest we've seen. And so if inflation expectations come unhinged, they really might have to get more aggressive. We'll see, right? It's interesting because the longer inflation's around, the more you expect it to be here. And so you can make the argument, well, no, we're gonna, because globalization helped, now we're unglobalizing, right? We're gonna have to build our own supply chain. We don't trust the Chinese anymore, right? That was all deflationary. All of a sudden, that's going away. And so it's a really complicated equation. And the thing I would just stress is you're gonna have to wait. Uh, and that's hard to do. Really hard to do. And one thing that we should probably mention is, you know, we've gone 40 minutes or so without talking about geopolitical risk. It's real. I mean, it's clear something, it seemed like things between Russia and Ukraine, and then potentially NATO, are gonna get worse before they get better. How does that play into your thinking about what you're looking at investing in, trading, those types yeah. of things? Yeah, no, in some ways the world's never been uh, as unstable in my 35 years as a Wall Street guy. Um, you know, I've got a friend, his son is in the 82nd Airborne, they're on high alert, they got the boots on, the guns, guns at the door just in case, the guys in Italy, and so we're taking this pretty damn seriously. Our troops are on, you know, whatever, whatever that top level of alert is. Um, that would not be good <laughs> for markets. Uh, you know, we've got a China, China relationship that really was in pretty good shape in 2015 and now feels like it's a disaster. Um, and that's bipartisan. Um, and, you know, I don't blame that on anyone, I think, China made a big pivot. Xi surprised people and pivoted. Uh, I spent seven years of my life over there. 
thought I was part of the solution, and now I'm like, God damn, what a waste. You know, now this is, so that's an ugly piece. So we, we have this balkanization of the world, and it just makes sporadic pops of volatility more likely. You know, vault. I would do a 45-minute session just on volatility because I think you alluded to it, these violent rallies that we see, these counter-trend rallies, are predicated, in my opinion, on something we used to call bad Greek or negative gamma, when for a decade people have been rewarded for being short volatility, and now they are being punished for being short volatility, and they find themselves chasing. The lower things go, the more they have to sell. The higher things go, the more they have to buy. And that doesn't resolve itself overnight, as you know. I mean, is that part of this as well? <laughs> Listen. There's negative gamma for a couple reasons, because people got paid being short ball, and that's got to get beaten out of the system. Um, also because the intuitive thing to do when you've got illiquid stuff is to hedge. And so let's assume everyone in this room only had private equity, and we all thought the market was going down. We would all sell S&P or NASDAQ futures. Ah, feels good. We know that thing's going to get marked down, but we're making money on our hedge. The moment the hedge starts going against you, you're like, oh God, I gotta get my hedge back. And so the hedges scream up. Of course, your illiquid stuff's not moving. It's just sinking. And so it's really complicated. It's hard to do. The best thing to do in a bear market is to pair off your risk, have less on, to sell what you're long. But a lot of people can't sell what they're long. Like every one of my friends, and of course, my rich friends, uh, have way too much PE, venture. It's, it's all been so good and easy, right? And so that's hard to hedge. And so we're, over, we're overweight illiquid. I met a couple of your people you work with at Galaxy, brilliant people. They're sitting over in the second row. Talk to me about your vision for Galaxy Digital. We talked about it, 600 people, but you have a vision for this. And by the way, you're, it's, coming to, it's coming to light right before your eyes. Listen, we, we want to be at the middle of what's happening in this space. And we started with the idea of let's use our own money to invest to understand it, because it's complicated. And so we have a balance sheet that we've invested with. But now we're building platform businesses with the acquisition of Bitco, where they're going to be the second largest custodian in the world, the largest pro provider of wallets. Uh, we're building an asset management business to service accounts like these with all kinds of great product, product in uh, a venture fund of funds, uh, a, a market neutral hedge fund strategy, a market neutral fund of funds, uh, a venture uh, interactive fund. And so giving people a way to invest in, our, in, in the space. We've got a big sales and trading business where hedge funds and crypto hedge funds and family offices can buy and sell Bitcoin, Ether, or any other currency. Uh, we have a mining business, an investment banking business. And so we want to be in the middle uh, of this space. Um, I think there's a huge amount of synergies by understanding how it's all happening. And so the lessons we're learning, we want to give to our cl clients kind of guide them on this journey. How do you find people? You mentioned earlier that you find some, obviously, the historic way of doing things, there's still that path. But on Twitter, you said you've found some brilliant people. Yeah, listen, the, the, the one thing that's been interesting about this space is it was mostly young, and it started from retail. And so there are people that have spent, I always look for domain expertise, right? Does the guy have domain expertise in something? And when they do, great. There's people that have huge domain expertise in, in crypto because they've literally spent 17 hours a day digging in. And so we've found some of those people. One guy at our mining team. Uh, we find some people from institutions that want to learn crypto because 
we're dealing with institutions, and so it helps to understand how institutions work. Uh, and so we're some hybrid between kind of cutting edge youth and institutional grade people. I, I say half, half suits and half hoodies, but each person ha has to learn how to wear both. Uh, it's harder to teach the guy in the suit to wear a hoodie. <laughs> you know, and so it's, 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 it's a mix. Our company's getting younger, which I think is great. Um, the space is a young space. Uh, but it's, what I also realized is those young people, there's a huge role for mentorship and, and guidance. Uh, because they, it, and that's one of the reasons I got into this place originally. I was kind of the old guy in crypto, and all these young crypto guys were helping me make money. I figured there was something I could do for them, not just you know, introduce institutions to crypto, but they needed guidance that I might have learned from my 30-odd years working for Goldman and Fortress. You wrestled at Princeton. What weight were you wrestling at? <laughs> I wrestled 150, uh, 150 pounds and 158 sometimes. So I mentioned that because you're part of this 100-day, what day are you in in your 100-day cardio challenge? I, I unfortunately am starting over Monday. <laughs> I, I tell you what, the 100-day, 30, 30 minutes exercise a day in a row is so hard because as soon as you start traveling, you have to have a discipline and the markets are going haywire and so I blew it. And so I'm restarting. You mentioned the reason why, you know, Bitcoin's been cut in half is effectively Fed pivot. I would submit, yeah, that's part of it, but it also coincided, not coincidentally, with you getting that tattoo. You want to talk about that? <laughs> so part of the spirit of the crypto community is fun, right? It's a young group. It's a fun area. There's lots of funny memes. There's, you want to bring joy to the space. And so I have two crypto tattoos. And so I originally said when Bitcoin takes out the highs, this was when Bitcoin's 4,000, it had traded 20,000, I'll get a Bitcoin tattoo. And I did on this arm, a Bitcoin goes to the moon tattoo. And then I invested in another project called Terra Luna, run by this brilliant Korean kid who went to Stanford. And I became kind of one of the bigger speculators in the space, and we did a lot with them. Uh, and we bought it at 22 cents or 25 cents 13 months ago. And I said on a podcast, if Luna gets to 100, I'm getting a Luna <laughs> tattoo. And I tell you, I made enough money on Terra Luna, and I like the guy enough that I, the market's gone down. It now trades 65. It had traded 100. But I, I proudly wear my tattoo. And uh, it was probably the best, one of the two best investments of my life, I mean, 22 cents to $100 in a year. You don't get many 500 to 1 bets. When Bitcoin gets 100,000, I can't wait to see that tattoo. And more importantly, where you get it. When, Galaxy, when Galaxy gets to 100, I think I'm, gonna, I'm saving my back. <laughs> well, look, I want to thank Mike Novogratz. He could be a lot of places he chose to be with us. So thank you for your time, Mike Novogratz. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show, and we also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com. Derivatives are not suitable for all investors and involve the risk of losing more than the amount originally deposited and any profit you might have made. This communication is not a recommendation or offer to buy, sell, or retain any specific investment or service.